0: You're listening to the DB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DB Supply Show. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so much for joining us here again this week. Well, you know, winter is coming. Can't believe it, but it's already happening and it's time to start prepping for winter. And one of the things we need to be doing right now and making sure that we are on top of is getting our bees and our beehives ready for winter. So today I'm going to have on Melinda Stafford, who's coming to us from the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, as well as Boise State University. And she is just a wealth of information when it comes to bees and everything that we need to know for taking care of our bees. And we're going to have her on to talk all about prepping for winter and what we need to be doing in terms of checking our bees over the winter and protecting them from things like mites and mice and things like that. So she'll be coming on with us here in just a moment. Melinda, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's always a good time to be here.
0: <laughs> I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure and I uh, always learn a ton from you. My daughter, Hattie, has been... She's asked me probably about four times over the last couple months if we can start a beehive again. so I think that's coming. We'll be I hope so. We'll be relying on your help when well, that comes.
1: Let me know what you need. Happy to advise.
0: <laughs> we will, we will. Well, let's do this. Uh, you've been on the show several times, but you're always such a great resource about bees and taking care of bees. If you could, just kind of give us another brief introduction to our listeners of who you are, and then we'll jump into talking all about getting bees ready for winter.
1: Sure. Well, my name is Melinda Jean Stafford. I work at Boise State University... As uh, the assistant director for the student involvement and leadership center, which is pretty unrelated to bees, but it is how I got into beekeeping. So I started a, a different job five years ago at Boise State where they handed me what was at the time an internship program where students were managing some hives on the roof of the student union building. That program has since changed from an internship program to a club called the Bee Team, and they still manage the hives on the roof of the Student Union Building. And through my work with that club, I got really hands-on and got some of my own hives and got really involved in the community. So I have my own hives now, in addition to still working with the students at Boise State. And I serve as the president of the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, which is a really fun community group to get involved in if you're interested in learning more about bees.
0: Awesome, and you also write all sorts of blog posts for D&B Supplies.
1: Yes, great. yep. So I write blogs. I've created some video content. I do the podcast here with you, and then I also mm-hmm. occasionally go on the DNB Garden Show with Debbie Cook and talk about bee-related topics throughout the year. So that's a lot of fun.
0: So this episode, we are recording this uh, right at the end of August. It's going to be coming out in very very early September. So where are we at? Has most honey been harvested now?
1: Yes, or should have been harvested. The general rule of thumb in our area is to harvest honey around August 1st Mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. The main one being it gives you time to control the varroa mites that might be in your hive before winter sets in. And many of the treatment options that you're able to use, you can't harvest honey after you've used those. So you want to harvest the honey before the varroa mite treatments that you use. But also, it's a good time to harvest because the bees now are really getting ready for winter. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that they're starting to get a little bit more aggressive and less willing to part with their honey. So it can be a good time of year around august 1st to harvest that before their behavior starts to get a little bit more possessive and also with them getting ready for winter they're trying to store up as much as they can so taking what's feasible earlier and then leaving uh, a good amount for them to get through winter Mm -hmm. allows you as a beekeeper to monitor if they have what they need and gives you some time to make adjustments
0: now, we're talking about getting, getting ready for winter with our bees. They've got a different calendar than us. When does winter begin for bees in our area? In our area, everybody listening to us, is going to be about from Twin Falls on up to Pendleton, Oregon. So, mm-hmm. kind of a vast area. It just so, in general, when does winter start for bees?
1: Well, I guess it depends on exactly what you mean by what, when does winter begin. But I, I define winter beginning with bees when they start bringing their population down. Okay. So bees start bringing their population down in our area uh, around this time of year, end of August. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice if you're opening your hives that the queen is probably laying less eggs than she was in May, June and July when their population was at their peak. And so that is the sign that a hive is getting intentionally ready for winter because they don't want to have to feed uh 60,000 mouths going through winter they mm-hmm. want to feed 10 to 20,000 mouths going through winter so the hive is bringing down their population so i would say winter is starting september 1st for bees that's when they're really getting ready for that that period of time mm-hmm. so a beekeeper needs to be ready for that a month earlier.
0: Now does the behavior of the bees does it start to change as daylight hours change, or does it have to do with like overnight lows when they start to go down or is there It's
1: any- a it's a mix of factors. So bee behavior you know has factors related to genetics for sure Mm -hmm. but also factors related to weather so if it's really cool and most of the bees are home and you go to open the hive you're going to notice they're going to be a little bit more aggressive than if it was a nice sunny day and most of them are out flying but also the time of year so bees start getting a little bit more possessive of their supplies this time of year and you'll just notice that there that as you start inspecting a hive right now, they just seem to be a little bit more agitated than they did Mm -hmm. maybe a month ago. So, behavior really is affected by a variety of things. I think
2: genetics being the biggest one.
0: Alright, well let's take a commercial break and then when we come back, let's get into the specifics of how we can prep for winter.
2: Great. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DB Supply. Are you ready
3: for a steal? Then stop by DB to pick up steel power tools. German engineered, these power players offer quality that never quits. Like the steel MS 271 farm boss chainsaw available for just 429 dollars 95 with a 20 inch bar and chain show your project list. Who's boss and leave it in your sawdust with legendary chainsaws, dependable trimmers, forceful blowers, and epic tools of the trade. Steel powers
0: through anything. Grab a steel at your favorite D&B supply. All right. Well, Melinda, now that we're back, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. And I mentioned earlier that my daughter keeps saying she wants to get bees again, which indicates that we had bees at one point point. Right. We no longer do. Sure. And we had a disaster, and it was right around this time of year, so in late summer, early fall. With wasps. Um, mm-hmm. at least the the people that we spoke with uh, told us that it was wasps that wiped out our hive. So and what I've noticed over the last probably two to three weeks is that at least around our farm here, the wasps have become all of a sudden there's just there's just nest of them appearing everywhere mm-hmm. and I've gotten stung a couple times. In areas I've been going through to irrigate and do this, and I've never seen a wasp all summer. Then all of a sudden, bam, they're there and I, I've gotten stung. So it seems like at least their activity is random. Up right at this time of yes. year. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, what can we do as beekeepers to protect our hives from
1: wasps? There's a couple of things. The most important thing is keeping your hive strong. So, a strong hive that has a good, strong population can generally ward off wasps on their own Mm -hmm. so that's factor number one but there's some subsequent things that can be really helpful so you can put an entrance reducer on your hive which what that is is it's just something that takes the entrance from being you know a foot long or a little mm-hmm. bit longer to being maybe a few inches long. Okay. And what that does is that gives the bees a much smaller space that they have to guard. So in a hive, bees are used to knowing where their points of entry are. And so they will have bees specifically assigned to working those areas and guarding them from invaders. And if that area is smaller, then their their forces go a lot longer, a lot further. Okay, So Uh, entrance reducers can help a hive protect itself a little bit more other things would be to you know just pay attention to the wasps in your area put up some traps uh, accordingly wasps are obviously a natural thing in our environment so Mm -hmm. living with them to an extent is definitely something we just have to manage Mm -hmm. but if they're really prevalent in your specific area and there's some nests that you could maybe get rid of then that can be helpful too
0: So should we put up a lot of traps around the beehives, or will those attract bees as well?
1: So wasps and bees eat different things. Wasps are carnivorous, and so they'll eat eat bees. So they're Mm -hmm. not going into a hive to eat the honey. Mm -hmm. They're going in to eat... Bees and, and larvae because they are getting okay. the protein from those sources. And so that's why a lot of wasp traps will ask you to use bait that is things like tuna fish mm-hmm. and, and other protein sources. So will those attract bees? No. They're eating very different things. So putting wasp traps relatively close to beehives shouldn't be an issue as long as okay. you're using the right Date for right. them.
0: Okay. Well, let's get back to winterization. I just wanted to touch on that because
1: it's a problem for a lot of folks. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And my, uh, my hand was as big as a glove the other day mm. after I got stung. So, uh, yeah, I'm anti-wasp right now, but yep. they've got to be necessary for some reason, but they are uh, <laughs> good
1: pollinators, but you know, we don't really want them up in our faces.
0: <laughs> right. Let's get back to winterization. So Let's start with this. How do bees maintain the warmth in their hive over the winter?
1: They maintain warmth by buzzing their little bodies so they change the formation that they're in in the winter than they are in the summer so in the summertime bees are you know once they get up in the morning and the temperature rises a good majority of them will head out and start foraging bringing back pollen and nectar Mm -hmm. in the winter they're not doing that all the bees that are in the hive over the course of the winter are staying there and they cluster together in a circular formation and they they sort of disjoint their wings if you will and transition their bodies from flying buzzing and flying to buzzing to stay warm so they'll vibrate their little bodies to stay warm and much like penguins in the antarctic where the outside ones will then rotate with the inside ones to share Mm -hmm. which ones are getting the heat and which ones are taking the cold bees do the same thing they'll rotate who's on the outside of that cluster to rotate who is getting access to warmth
0: so well, you you may know this. You seem to know everything about bees. Well, I
1: don't know about that, but I'm learning new things by getting asked questions that stump me.
0: Okay. it was. I'm just curious as you talk about them rotating in, I wonder how frequently that happens. How long do they stay on the outer circle before they go in?
1: You know, I'm not sure. It might depend on the how cold it actually is mm-hmm. or if there's some sort of a draft. It can be really helpful as a beekeeper. Um, you don't necessarily need to insulate hives, but... It, Preventing them from getting really drafty cold air coming up into the hive can be really helpful. So they may rotate more depending on how intense the cold is. Got
0: it. And you probably don't know how frequently penguins do it either.
1: I don't. I can't <laughs> say that I do. Although uh, planet Earth had some great video footage of that.
0: So. That's something I I would give that's probably six out of 10 odds that my daughter would know that. Yeah, Probably she's watching on some show and has that (laughs) factoid memorized. But anyway. it's a
1: great visual for the same way bees do it.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about what we can do to help them over the winter when it comes to feed, when it comes to warmth and all of that. So let's start off with feed. So if we never... never disturbed a hive, they would store up all the feed they need for the winter, right?
1: Correct. Yes. In theory, right? If they're a strong hive and they're bringing Mm -hmm. in plenty of honey and pollen on their own, that is the resources that they would use to survive the winter.
0: And so we just talked about harvest took place or should have taken place in early August. Right. But when you harvest, you're supposed to leave enough honey to help them get through the winter. Correct.
1: Yep. And in our area, that means about 60 to 80 pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, what that means visually, 60 to 80 pounds is six to eight deep frames of honey. Or if you're using medium boxes like I do, mm-hmm. it would be an entire medium box full of honey. Okay. Is that's, that's generally how much they need to survive winter. I always err on the side of a little bit more because uh, with a really long winter or with a colony that decided to go through winter with a slightly larger population. Mm-hmm they're going to eat through that honey quicker. So it's important to make sure to to leave enough.
0: So don't uh, harvest every last drop, even though it's tempting.
1: It is very tempting sometimes. But yes, we don't want to harvest every last drop. Although if beekeepers are harvesting around August 1st, again, they wouldn't take all of it, mm-hmm. but it gives them a window of time to where they could feed the bees with some sugar syrup, which is essentially a nectar alternative. Okay. That Then they could use that to store up plenty of, of resources from there on, but that doesn't mean that you should harvest everything and then just assume sugar syrup will take the place. That's that's not a good strategy. Well,
0: let's take another commercial break, then when we come back, I do want to talk more about feed substitutes for them.
4: Great. Why am I wearing a lab coat and standing in your lawn? Because I'm a Bear Advanced lawn care scientist, and I'm about to revolutionize the way you control lawn weeds. Because with Bear Advanced season-long weed control for lawns, you get the only spray that kills listed broadleaf lawn weeds, then creates a barrier below to prevent new weeds for up to six months. One application is all it takes. Count on Bear Advance to put revolutionary science right in your hands. Get more from the Blue Bottle. Always read and follow label instructions. We love George Strait for more than his music. After 56 number one singles, George is still a family man and a real cowboy. That's why we love him, and that's why he wears nothing but Wrangler. The George Strait Cowboy Cut Collection by Wrangler has a huge selection of styles a cowboy can be comfortable wearing anywhere. So head to your favorite D&B supply and try the George Strait Cowboy Cut Collection by Wrangler. Long live cowboys.
0: Now that we're back, Melinda, I want to keep on this topic of, of feed substitutes now. Here we are. Uh, people have already harvested their honey for the most part. So let's say that somebody, for some reason or another, they depleted their hive below the level that they should have. And so now we're getting ready to, to go into this, this winter prep and mm-hmm. they're going, well, what do I do? Because I've I, that's already done. There's right. nothing I can do about that. So what can we do? If we do need to supplement or augment their feed throughout the winter, what What can we do?
1: So you can feed sugar syrup, which is the closest um, imitation to nectar that you can possibly make. Okay. In fact, it's chemically the same. Nectar is sucrose and sugar and water is sucrose. Mm -hmm. So they're very similar in that regard. And so uh, what I do to feed bees is I take a gallon of a milk jug and I fill it all the way full with granulated sugar Mm -hmm. and then i'll get my tap water as hot as i can and i'll add water shaking it as i go until everything's dissolved so it's a two to one ratio of sugar to water and what that is is it's actually a little bit higher in sugar content than natural nectar would be Mm -hmm. but it gives the bees they're a little bit closer to it being storable honey than nectar would be because they have to dehydrate it less because it's a thicker sugar content. So you can feed them that, and there's a couple of ways you can do it. I think the most... Beneficial way is with an in-hive feeder. So what you do is you take a frame out and you replace it with a feeder frame, which is essentially the shape of a frame, but it's a basin. Mm -hmm. And then you can fill it with... They usually hold a whole gallon, which is why I like to use milk jugs because then I know I need one per colony. And I feed them that as quickly as they'll take it. So this time of year, my hives are consuming sugar syrup. They'll go through a gallon in three or four days. Oh, wow. So I'm going out there at least once a week to refill it. Mm -hmm. And then there might be a point in time where I notice that they're not consuming it as much. And that tells me that, well, they probably don't need me to keep refilling it. Okay, So that is an option right now that beekeepers can do to supplement feed so that the hives go into winter with as much resources as possible. Okay, Now, if you're getting into winter, if it's December, January, February, and you're noticing that your hives are pretty light, there's some emergency feeding options Options like a candy board where you're essentially making sugar syrup, but just cooking it down to where it dehydrates it and it's mm-hmm. it's condensed and you can make a candy board in a cookie sheet that is no bigger than the top of your hive. And you just place that on top of all the frames and they'll eat through that like they would honey.
0: Now, you mentioned the two to one ratio right. of sugar to water. Uh, go over that again. How does how does somebody figure that part out so they get that ratio correct?
1: Yeah, so it's two to one by um two to one by volume but the way that i eyeball it so that i'm not Mm -hmm. having to measure with cups every single time is i'll fill an entire gallon jug full of sugar granulated sugar and then i'll add hot water dissolving it and shaking it as i go until the gallon is totally dissolved and totally full Oh okay. Mhm. So it won't if you have your gallon full of sugar syrup, it'll only take a half gallon of water for it to dissolve, but it'll still all fit.
0: Wow. So mm-hmm. that is an actual full milk jug full of granulated sugar before Correct. you add the water.
1: Right. Mhm. Okay. And as you add water, it'll it'll start to dissolve and mix together.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Now, if I'd have done that, I would have been like, oh, no, that's too much sugar. But that's good to know.
1: Right. It seems counterintuitive because you would think if it's totally full of sugar and I add water, it's going to overflow. But it starts one yeah. starts to dissolve the other.
0: All right. So we've talked about food for them. Let's talk about predators. And we'll start off with Varroa mites. So you mentioned those, that that's a good time when you harvest in August uh, to be able to check for those. Uh, yes. So what can we do to protect that hive from those mites, uh, either during that harvest or now if for some reason we didn't get that done uh, in early August.
1: Right, so what I think is really valuable to do is to count the number of mites that are in your hives throughout the season. Mm -hmm. So not just this time of year, but starting earlier. Uh, And the way to do that is with an alcohol wash or a powdered sugar shake, where you take a sample of bees and you can use alcohol or powdered sugar to get the mites off of the bees to where you can physically count them Mm -hmm. and see how many you have per a certain sample size bees and we can talk about that in detail if you want but if your threshold this time of year is getting above about two percent some people would argue three percent if it's getting above that threshold you are in trouble Uh, because what's happening next is the bees are continuing to bring their population down, but the mites population is going up. And so that inverse relationship creates a real problem down the road when suddenly the percentage of mites in your hive has gone from 3% to 6% to 12% to 24%. And then you have a real problem that you can't get your hands on. Okay. So checking the amount of mites you have in your hive is step one. And then from there, you can make a decision on if I need to treat and what to use to treat. And there's a variety of options this time of year. Your best options are gonna be Apigard, which the active ingredient in that is Thymol, I like that option because it's more on the natural side. Uh, thymol is a derivative of thyme, and so it uses that essential oil to kill the mites, and it works really well. Okay, but you need warm temperatures, but not too hot of temperatures. So we're right in a perfect window right now to use that. There's other options: Apivar, which is which is more on the synthetic side. So keeping that in mind, if depending on your goals, mm-hmm. MiteAway Quick Strips uh, is a good option this time of year. HopGuard Two is also a good option this time of year. So, there's a variety of options, and I just encourage beekeepers to read up on them and pick an option that they feel good about and mm-hmm. that they know is effective. Okay. And then, what that'll do if your population of mites is too high, it'll bring that down so that the bees can then defend themselves much more easily over winter. And the mites will hopefully not get a stronghold over the hive over winter, resulting in usually a dead hive during winter, or you open it up in spring and it's very weak or maybe non existent.
0: Let's take another break. When we come back, uh, more on that. Things are heating up around here at d
3: You'll see why when you check out our wide selection of high-performance stoves from Harman, Quadrifier, and Heat-A-Later EcoChoice. These classic pellet and wood-burning stoves light up your hearth and home. They give you even heat and easy maintenance with craftsmanship that stands the test of time and really stands out. So swing on by d Supply and see how Harman, Quadrifier and Heatalator Eco-Choice stoves can warm up your home.
2: What's on the grill? That's the ultimate summertime question. And you can make the answer extra special with a wood-fired Traeger grill at D&B Supply. Pure hardwood is the fuel for Traeger's signature flavor. It lets you grill, smoke, baste, roast, braise, or barbecue hot and fast or low and slow with perfect results every time. Versatile, consistent, and convenient. With a Traeger, you just set it and forget it. Master the taste of summer and pick up your Traeger grill at your favorite DMB supply. Okay,
0: Melinda. Well, as usual, wealth of information. Tons of good stuff here. Maybe and- too much. <laughs> well, I'm taking notes so I can make sure and clarify a few things. So you talked about the percentage, the 2 or 3% of varroa mites. How do you do that calculation?
1: So uh, when you do a mite count, you should be using a sample of about half cup of bees. And if you're getting as close to a half cup of bees as possible, it's going to be 300 bees. Okay. And a good way to check is to do your sample and then count, physically count the bees afterwards. Mm -hmm. I use the alcohol wash method. It does kill the bees, but this time of year where the population is still really high, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 bees in a colony killing 300 bees is definitely worth the knowledge that you're going to gain mm-hmm. um, and the decision-making ability that you're going to gain. So you collect a half cup of bees. I put it into a mason jar that's got a lid on it that has some hardware screening on it, kind of like um, the netting that's uh, used in a window screen. Okay. And uh, then I pour rubbing alcohol into it and I swirl it around it kills the bees but also kills the mites and physically causes them to separate from one another and so I'll swirl it and swirl it for several minutes let it sit do the same thing over and over again and then I'll turn that mason jar upside down the bees will stay inside because that hardware screening is holding them in Mm -hmm. but the mites will fall through Mm -hmm. and you can physically count them because mites are very visible to the naked eye And you can count them. And and if you collected an accurate half cup of bees or 300, you know that anything above six mites is going to be above your 2% threshold, two per 100, six per 300. And so anything above 2% this time of year can be pretty scary because as the bee population goes down and the mite population Mm -hmm. goes up, that 2% is going to turn into four. 8-16. Eight sixteen. Okay. So you want to be aware that it's not going to just stay at 2%. Mm-hmm. It's going to grow if we don't do something about it.
0: Okay. So you got to get it treated.
1: Yep. If your population of mites is high, some folks have had really good seasons this year and they are doing mite counts and they're not seeing any mites. Oh wow. And so that's really great. And so some folks choose to not treat those hives but they can still in in this season right now where they're out harvesting and sometimes robbing from other hives mm-hmm. Bring mites home with them so that can be a little bit scary too. So that's why I encourage people to continue to count mites periodically throughout the warm season so that you can keep an eye on any problems they may bring home.
0: Now how big of a problem can rodents be like mice or field mice or voles or something like that over the course of a winter?
1: So they're generally not very problematic to the bees they're more a nuisance to the beekeeper A vole or a mouse can go into the entrance of a hive and create a nest because it's a much warmer place to keep Mm -hmm. a nest than outside where they don't have any coverage. And so creating a nest in there is is kind of gross and nasty for a beekeeper, but they generally won't make it much further than just inside the entrance on the bottom board. And if the bees um, are in their cluster working their way upward, they may just let that mouse Live there and do its thing. Mm-hmm. A beekeeper may come back to that hive in spring and do their first inspection and find that a mouse had made a nest. Mm-hmm. Or maybe by then the bees have found it and taken care of it themselves. But generally, a, a mouse won't kill a hive, it'll just create some gross, nasty cleanup.
0: Okay, so just clean up, but uh, no harm to the bees necessarily.
1: Generally, no, but there are mouse guards. You can buy a mouse guard for the front of a hive. Mm -hmm. And what it looks like is it's uh, a piece of metal or some sort of material that then has a bunch of holes in it that are just big enough for a bee to go in and out of, but a mouse couldn't fit through. So folks that have their hives on ground level in an area where mice have been visible, a mouse guard can be a great thing to put on a hive entrance just to make life easier down the road.
0: Now, let's talk about temperature over the winter. So, are there things that we can do to assist the bees in maintaining the temperature they need to keep the hive at during the winter?
1: I think the best thing beekeepers can do is consider the placement of their hives to begin with. So placing hives in an area that isn't going to get constantly beat up by wind, I think Mm -hmm. is really valuable. But that's tricky because we've talked about this before, but the best placement for hives in the summer really is an open area where they're getting a lot of sunlight, Right, which Mm -hmm. is also tends to be the places where wind is beating through. So, what folks can do is if they don't have a natural break for the wind with trees or something, they could stack hay bales or something just up against the sides of the hives where you know a draft is going to be coming through. Cold wind can be really tough on bees and take what were just normally cold temperatures and make them really frigid temperatures. Mm-hmm. So a windbreak can be really valuable. Also making sure that they're not damp. If a hive gets cold, but it's cold and wet, you can imagine that that's a lot harder for them to fend off. Mm-hmm. So making sure that they're up off the ground and not soaking in any sort of dampness on the ground mm-hmm. can be really helpful to help them maintain their temperature. Okay. Some folks insulate hives with uh, you know, all sorts of different things, insulation materials and styrofoam and tar paper and things like that. I don't find that those are totally necessary if you're providing a good wind break and keeping the hives dry.
0: One more break and more on this when we come back. Carhartt makes gear to get you through
4: anything, so D&B Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way, Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do. To outlast them all, get decked out in Carhartt
3: at D&B. When it comes to legendary performance, only a few chainsaws make the cut, like the Husqvarna lineup available at DB. Years of razor sharp research led to many of Husqvarna's breakthrough technologies, including anti vibration dampeners to reduce the impact on your arms and hands, plus a combined choke and stop control that makes the chainsaw easier to start. When you have your work cut out for you, get her done with a Husqvarna. Pick up one at your favorite DB supply.
0: All right, Melinda. Well, uh, on the same topic, the sunlight and the wind and all of that, let's start with the wind block. If you're going to construct a wind block... Are you constructing at 360 degrees around the hive, or just where the the prevailing or the most dominant winds in the winter are coming from, like in our area from the northwest, most likely?
1: Right. So, if you have your hives in sort of an open field and you want to provide a windbreak, that's probably the way to do it: is putting those that block uh, those hay bales or whatever you're using just on the sides where they're going to be getting beat up the most. It doesn't okay. need to be 360. For folks that are more on the urban side, where they're having hives in their backyard, they may not have the option to build a windbreak. Mm -hmm. And if they do, maybe it's not visually pleasing, or maybe their neighbors don't like it. You've got all sorts of other things. So sometimes that can be really tricky, which is why I encourage beekeepers to really think about the placement of their hives to begin with Mm because it's hard to move hives once you get them settled in so if providing a windbreak is not an option then uh, things get a little trickier but generally cold winds won't kill a hive but repeated cold winds and dampness and things like Mm -hmm. that over and over and over again can make it pretty challenging for them
0: and you mentioned that moving a hive can be difficult or be tricky is there ever a time in which your environmental conditions during the summer change so much during the winter that you might want to go through the effort to move a hive to, say, maybe a a more sunny spot or something like that?
1: So you you can. You can move a hive. There's a sort of rule of thumb with beekeepers that you either have to move them one inch or one mile. And, (laughs) And what that means is if you were to pick up a hive and move it from one end of your yard to the other you'll notice the bees going back to the original location looking very confused because they have built a memory bank of that being their home Mm -hmm. so if you need to move a hive there are ways you can do it if you need to move it a short distance you can move it a little bit every day and usually the bees will adapt to that quite well It's not a good idea to move a hive in the middle of winter when they're in their cluster. Mm -hmm. Because once they're in their cluster, if you break that up, it can be really hard for them to reformate that cluster. So any movement that you want to make to a hive, you would want to be thoughtful about doing it earlier than the dead of winter.
0: Now, is there... Or can there be an issue with condensation inside of a hive?
1: Yes, definitely. And it's really important to make sure you're providing hives ventilation. So like I said earlier, bees don't survive well in damp environments. It's really hard for them to maintain their temperature. So uh, ventilation is really key. Now, it, it may not seem intuitive to put a hole in the top of your beehive to let hot air out. But if you don't, what happens is it hits the roof of the hive. It condenses Mm -hmm. and moisture will fall and rain back down on the bees. So there's a variety of ways to provide ventilation. Some folks will just use something to prop their lid up a little bit. So using popsicle sticks to just Mm -hmm. crack one end of the lid up a little bit can be really helpful. Keeping in mind that if there's a lot of wind in your area, you still want to keep the lid on tight with some weight on top so that if a gust of wind comes, it's not going to make your lid fly off. Other folks physically drill a hole in the top of the hive well the, the a face of it but mm-hmm. near the top mm-hmm. that's about the size of a cork so that they could plug it up if they want to, and that will allow the hot air from their cluster that they're that they've created to rise and exit and not come back down onto them
0: now you, we when we talked about rodents, we talked about mice and building the nest. you talked about the mouse coming in through the opening. Is that something that we actually should be closing at wintertime? Should that be totally closed or do we want to leave a little bit of an opening?
1: At the bottom or the top? At the bottom. At the bottom, you do want to leave an opening because you want the bees on a day where it is slightly warm for them to be able to exit Okay. because bees are very careful about not defecating or pooping in their own hives. So on a warm day in the winter, you know, that's going to be in the 50 degrees in our area Mm -hmm. there. You're going to notice your bees flying in and out to use the restroom. So you do want to make sure that there is an entrance for them still at the bottom that they can use. But also an the ventilation source that you've created could also serve as a secondary entrance for them
0: okay i was going to ask about that too so they may enter and exit through that if you've created it
1: yep if it's big enough so the ventilation that i've used uh, on some of my hives is just propping the lid with some popsicle sticks a little Mm -hmm. bit and that's generally not big enough for them to fly in and out of so i make sure that the front entrance still has an opening that they can come in and out of
0: now Over the winter, uh, in the heart of winter, you know, December, January, whatever it may be. Should we be checking those hives at some point or should we just not be disturbing them?
1: Great question. You don't want to be inspecting them, but I would say you want to check on them. And what you're really checking for is have they exhausted all of their food sources Mm -hmm. so the way to check that is more by weight than by necessarily opening the hive so you know i I try to do this on days where it's not the coldest day of the winter because Mm -hmm. i don't want to break their cluster but um, on a on an average winter day, you can go to your hive and use your fingertips to sort of lift one end of the bottom of the hive to assess: is this really light? Mm-hmm. Now you have to have done that before winter, so you can assess. Well, what did it weigh to begin with? Mm-hmm. But if it's really easy to to tilt up and down with your fingertips, that tells you they've probably eaten through their food sources a little quicker than you probably would have liked, and that triggers a sign to you that you should provide them a candy board or some sort. Sort of an Mm -hmm. emergency food source.
0: Okay. Now, during the winter, when you do have to provide that emergency food source, uh, is one better than the other? Like, is the I read something somewhere, but I don't know how true it is about if you're using if you're using the water mixture that it's more difficult for them to metabolize or something like that. Is that true?
1: Well, it can be really challenging because it can freeze. Okay. So sugar syrup, while that's a great option for feeding bees in spring and fall, it doesn't work well in the winter in our area because it'll freeze and they can't access it. Okay. So uh, the best thing I think to do is to create a candy board, which I have a recipe for in one of my DNB blogs that folks can check out, but it's, it's not a heck of a lot different than sugar syrup. It's just condensed down, much like you would make caramel okay. for Christmas gifts, and then you put it into a form like a candy sheet mm-hmm. and it creates this nice, flat, you know, maybe inch or inch and a half thick board of candy Mm -hmm. and you just place that on top of your top bars of your hive put the lid back over the top and if if they work through all the honey they've stored they're going to eventually hit that candy board but the heat from their bodies will soften it to where they can actually consume it and eat it
0: i knew they kept the hives warm but obviously not warm enough to keep that water from freezing Then
1: correct yeah well not and, and generally, the feeder frame you put in is on the side, and their cluster tends to be sort of in the middle in okay. a round ball. So it generally isn't enough heat to keep the edges, which are the coldest part of the hive, unthawed.
0: Well, Melinda, every time I interview you, I'm so impressed with the knowledge and how you can just rattle it off. What makes you so passionate about bees?
1: Well, gosh, it's a lot of things, I think, partially because people uh, like the students at Boise State really keep me involved and keep mm-hmm. me active in it. And so I feel I do feel the need there to keep my knowledge up to par. But I found that I really enjoy it because I see the world differently as a beekeeper than I did before. Mm-hmm. I think I view everything from weather reports to just paying attention to what's blooming at the time. I pay attention to those things in a different way than I did before, mm-hmm. and I think I see the world in a little bit more of an interconnected and holistic way as a beekeeper because bees rely so much on everything around them and everything we do and don't do to survive. And so it's a pretty fascinating world when you think about how connected things are, and so I've I've kind of gotten sucked in through that. Mm-hmm. But my role with the Treasure Valley Beekeepers Club, I'm constantly learning new things. And so it's just a great hobby where I'm able to teach others, but also continue to learn myself. And that's a really rewarding thing.
0: Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for coming back again and uh, sharing all this information with us. My pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the d Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.